All right, let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter 9 tonight <clears throat> as we continue through the book. All right, so we've been going through the book of Second Chronicles for quite a while now. And uh, we've seen Solomon dedicate the, the temple to God, and uh, he had a big feast and a big celebration uh, that he was having there. And it wasn't just for Israel to know about this temple, but it was to broadcast to the world that, that God is the true God and that uh, if you want God, you can come to the temple and, and see about him. And they had this great feast and great celebration but we know that as the history of Israel would go on, that they, this celebration would slowly die. And uh, they would start worshiping other idols and other gods, and they would slowly get taken into captivity. And uh, we've read through that in First and Second Kings, and, we've, and through the book of, uh, as we go through the book of Chronicles, we see that decline start to happen. Uh, but as of right now, though, with Solomon uh, in his reign, uh, we have the temple ready for everyone to, to come and worship. Uh, this, this good news of the temple was heard almost 1,500 miles away in Sheba. As we see, the Queen of Sheba is going to be coming to seek Solomon, to understand his wisdom, and to see the splendor that she had heard about in her kingdom 1,500 miles away. So we can go ahead and start in verse 1. It says, Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon... She came to Jerusalem to test Solomon uh, with hard questions, having, great, uh, having very great retinue, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So we don't necessarily know where Sheba's at. A lot of the scholars will tell you it's maybe in, uh, in Arabia. Um, there's also those who believe it was in Ethiopia. Uh, there, there is uh, a lot of Ethiopians that believe that this happened. Uh, whenever it says that Solomon gave the queen of Sheba everything she desired, that also included possibly a son. Uh, they said in Ethiopia they contend that the sons of Solomon have reigned there for quite a few years and that there's even a sect of them that was following Judaism for a while. So there's no hard evidence to, to really tell if that's really what it is but it, 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 that's pretty convincing but so it's either from Arabia or it's from Ethiopia whichever whichever it may have been but we've seen Queen of Sheba coming to test Solomon she's heard these great wonders about him heard about the temple heard about his riches and she just couldn't believe it first you know believe it by word of mouth she had to go out and see it so she's going over here now to visit him we're gonna to go to verse two it says so Solomon answered all her questions there was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She was just taken back. This was too much for her. They didn't have all this riches and these temples in her land at all. And we see here Solomon was very competent and capable to answer the questions that she brought to, to him. And I'm pretty sure these questions are probably political questions. It could have been questions about issues she was going through. We don't know what those questions were because Scripture doesn't give it to us. But she had a plethora of questions to ask Solomon. And she was going to make sure she got the answers and Solomon was able to answer all of these. 
So we see here that the queen of Sheba saw not only the wisdom of Solomon, but saw the way he treated his servants and the way he dressed his servants and the money that he had and the items that he had as well. And it amazed her. It took her back. She melted. She couldn't, she couldn't even stand it no more. Her spirit, it said the spirit was no longer in her. She couldn't stand it no more. And we think about that. And when we see Jesus, do we do, we do the same thing? Is our, do our spirit, spirit just, our spirit just stand back and be like, wow, look at Jesus. Look what he's done for us. You know, do we get that way or does Jesus kind of just become, oh, yeah, I worship Jesus. You know, or, and it's kind of a mundane thing for us. But we should be taken back by what Jesus did, just like she was taken back by Solomon. We should be taken back by Jesus ourselves. And Jesus is building, and, and I'm sorry, and Solomon is building this, this, he has this temple that he built. And he built this great mag- magical place for Israel. But we read in Ephesians in Ephesians 20, uh, 2, verses 19 through 22, that God is building his own temple and that he is using his people to be that temple that is being built. And in Ephesians two nineteen, it starts off, it says, And now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone of this temple that he's building in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we are that temple. We are that that body that is being built up. It's not physical building like we're standing in now, but it's that spiritual building that he's building, and we're all part of that. Then it goes on. she goes on to talk about the attire that his servants were wearing, and, and it must have been really nice looking. It, it wasn't rags, I can probably guarantee you that. And, you know, and, and we're dressed in, in, in righteousness. God has made us righteous, right, through the work of the cross. And in Isaiah, in Isaiah 61.10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the ornaments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You know what? You may not feel righteous, and people may look at you and not think you're righteous, but because of the work on the cross, we are righteous. We are clothed in that righteousness that, that Jesus was able to purchase for us on the cross. And we should be glorifying him in that, and we should be praising him for that. And as he... And as he wraps us in that righteousness, he is what? He's preparing us for opportunities to serve. Y'all are a mission group, right? And you'll go out and you serve people in order to bring glory to God's name. And that's what we should be doing as believers. We should be giving service to God and and, and enjoying that service. It should not be something that, that we go through grudgingly. We should want to serve the Lord for everything he's done for us. For the simple fact he's wrapped us in those robes of righteousness. And I know we may not look like we're wrapped in robes of righteousness right now, but just wait till we get into glory. Amen. All right. Verse five, it says, then he then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words 
and your wisdom. So like I said, she heard 1,400, 1,500 miles away. She's already heard about the glory of Solomon. She's saying it was a true report that I had received about you. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceeded the fame of which I heard. Now, in this time, if you went to visit a king, you were going to give him praise. You were going to give him gifts. You were going to give him many different things. And often, if you didn't, it was counted as an insult. So these words that this Queen of Sheba is saying, these are genuine words. She really meant it that, hey, your wisdom that you have is even more wonderful than what I had heard. And how many of us, we may have heard about Jesus at some point in our lives and just kind of blew it off, you know, we didn't take the word of, of, of our, our brothers or our sisters or we didn't take the word of our friends who brought the gospel to us. But when Jesus finally got a hold of us, we can say, wow, this is more wonderful than what I was told. This is more wonderful than than anything that anyone could have told me whenever Jesus actually came to me and the spirit witnessed to me, then I realized how wonderful he really was. And we can kind of get that comparison here. Because once you experience Jesus, you'll be blown away. And when it said that she was uh, like, there was no more spirit in her. I know that's when we, our salvation and our conversion, we were set back and there was no more spirit in us. Not, not the spirit we used to have, that new spirit came in, amen. All right, verse 7 says, Happy are the men, and happy are the servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. So she's saying these servants and these people that are around you, day in and day out, get to hear this wisdom that you have. Day in and day out. And it says, Blessed, uh, blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God. Because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, you made, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, precious stones. There never were any spices such as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also, the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir, brought uh, uh, algum wood and precious stones. And the king made walkways of algum wood for the houses of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and string instruments for singers. And there were none such as these seen before in the land of Judah. Now King Solomon gave to the queen Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, much more than she had brought to the king. So she turned, turned and went to her own country and she and her servants. So now she leaves. <clears throat> so we see here Solomon had answered the Queen of Sheba. All the questions she had, she answered it. And then some. He even gave her gifts greater than what she brought to him. And one thing she ended up leaving with was that she, she converted. She started to believe in the true and living God. And you can say, well, how do we know this? If you go to Matthew 12... 41 and 42. And it reads, The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. And of course we're talking about Jesus. 
And in verse 42, it says, The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater one than Solomon is here. And we look at this, and we remember Solomon asked God for wisdom. He didn't ask her for wealth. He didn't ask for land. He didn't ask for anything that we may have asked God for. But he asked for wisdom. And God said, well, since you asked me for wisdom, I'm going to grant you that. Plus, I'm going to give you the wealth. I'm going to give you the land and such. And just think about that. Solomon received his wisdom from God. And Jesus being God is wisdom. Following the ways of God will give you wisdom. Solomon was a great king, but Jesus is the king of kings. And it says that a greater one than Solomon, a greater one than Jonah is coming. Solomon spoke practically to the nations, but Jesus speaks powerfully to the nations. Solomon gave the queen all her desires, but Jesus gives us exceedingly abundantly all that we can ask or even think. So if you can think it, he can give you more. That's how great our God is. Solomon answered the queen's question. Jesus is the answer to every question. Any question that we need answered is here in this book, the word that he gave to us. He is our answer. And in verse 13, it goes on. It says, the weight of gold that came to Solomon year, uh, yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides what, the travel, uh, besides what the traveling merchants and the traders brought, and all the kings of Arabia and governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. So now they're starting to show off some of the riches and what he would bring in yearly. It wasn't just there in Israel that this money was being made. It was going off to other countries and being brought in. If you remember, uh, Hiram and him had an actual... Navy, you can say, put together where they would go off to these foreign lands and bring back this gold. So they were bringing in quite an income. And you got to think about all the taxes that he put on foreigners that were in the land, taxes that he probably put on the governors that took care of uh, different things, plus tributes from other countries. So he was bringing in quite, quite a bit of money uh, here. In verse 16, it goes on. He also made 300. Sh- oh, did I read that? I'm going to read it again. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. It must be nice to be able to just take gold and make it into anything you want to make it into. You know, he took these shields and made, made them into gold and just set them inside of his little vacation house over in Lebanon. It must be really nice. In verse uh, 17, it says, Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. Why not? says, the, the throne had six steps with a footstool of gold, which were fastened to the throne. There was armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood behind the armrests. And you know, we look at this throne that he is building here, and we think about God up on his throne. And in Psalms 22, 3, it tells us, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. God is enthroned in the praises of his people. He enjoys the praises of his people. And we should constantly give him praise. And in verse 20, it goes on. It says, and 
All of King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. So silver would be like your aluminum Coke can that you have. It wouldn't be, be much, which nowadays, I mean, we like silver. Um, for the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. And in the King James Version, it says peacocks as well. So I'm pretty sure he was probably building his own zoo there for his own entertainment. And it just amazes me that even the silver, like today, we, we count silver as a pretty precious stone. But it wasn't counting them as, as anything in this time, in this day and time. It was like aluminum to them. That's just, it amazes me. In verse 22, it says, So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present, articles of silver, gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules, at a set rate year by year. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots, 12,000 horsemen who he stationed in the chariot cities, and with the king of Jerusalem. So he reigned over the kings from the river to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lower land. And they brought horses to Solomon from Egypt and from all the lands. And it says, so King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And we ask ourselves, well, how do you know that? You know, how did King Solomon know that? Well, God knows that because God knows all. And God sees all, so he's able to put in Scripture everything he knows, and that's, that's how we got that. But this was a, this was a rich king. He, he, he was not poor by any stretch of the imagination. But those riches that he would acquire and the horses that he would gain and all these things was not what God had in mind. In Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, uh, we're not going to turn there, but it talks about what kind of king, if Israel was to have a king, it should be. And it was one who was not going to stack up riches, one that wasn't going to stack up wives, wasn't going to stack up horses. These were not the things that God was looking for. And we see a lot of, a lot of achievement, like we talked about last week, a lot of achievement that Solomon had, had, had achieved, all the building projects, uh, the temple being the, the biggest one of all. And, and we see that, and those are wonderful things, but we also start to see some of the compromise that Solomon had, marrying the, uh, the princess from Egypt getting these horses from Egypt and, and marrying foreign wives, these were all things that slowly start to build his downfall. And, uh, and all these things that he stacked up really does not amount to anything. And in verses uh, 29, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan, the prophet, in the prophecy of Ahijah, the Shalonite, and in the visions of, the, of Ido, the seer concerning Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. So he had a pretty decent reign. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, uh, his father, and Rehoboam, the son, reigned in his place. So Solomon was wise. He was wealthy. He had success. 
he had everything that, that we would think would, would count to a pretty successful life. He had everything, everything that, that he needed. But we also learn in Ecclesiastes that we see from Solomon's own hands that he was miserable during this time. We read about him just not really caring much for what he had because he was that, that riches didn't bring him happiness. The, the temple may not have brought him happiness. The horses, the wives may not have brought him happiness. And when we think of happiness, you know, we think sometimes, oh, hey, if I only win the lottery, I'm, that's it, I'm going to be happy. If, you know, if I can only come into some money some kind of way, I'm going to be happy. If I made a little more of my paycheck, you know, all these things that we, we think are here on earth that are precious and that would, that, that would make us happy. And, we, and, and the media doesn't help because in Hollywood and, and on Facebook and on Instagram, all they want to show us is this is how you're going to be happy. If you look this way, if you have this much money. You know, if you have, you've reached this level of success, you'll be happy. But what happens when we reach that level is we want the next dollar. There's never an end to it. It's a vicious cycle. And we see Solomon not happy and living in misery, really, through this. And we hear about that in, in Ecclesiastes. In, 12, in Ecclesiastes 12.13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So let's hear about what really happens when the end comes. Let's really think about what really matters. It's not the, the fancy car I'm driving. It's not the house I'm living in. But he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. It says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. That's what we're here to do. Fear God, that healthy fear of God, that respect for God, and knowing who he is and knowing our position in him. That's what it's all about. And following his commandments, you know, when we went through the book of First and Second Kings, that's what we would hear the whole time. If you would follow my statutes and you would follow my commandments, these things will happen. And what happened to these kings in Israel and Judah? They didn't follow the statutes and they didn't follow the commandments. And next thing you know, they're taken off into captivity. You know, and many of many things I believe if these kings would have followed what the Lord was saying, because we look at David, who is the model of the kings for Israel, right? We look at David, and David would fall. He had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, right? But what did he do? He repented, and he was blessed. David would what? Had Bathsheba's husband murdered, repented, and he was blessed. So David had his times of sin, but his heart was set in the right place. And that's all these kings had to do. If they sin, repent before the Lord. Turn back the straight way. That's all they had to do, but they didn't do it. And I'll leave you with one more thing. I know we've all heard the term, you can't take it, take it when you go. So when we die, we can't take the riches we have. And there was a poem uh, put together by Claude Tillier, and it says, All our enterprise have but a beginning. The house that we build is for our heirs. The morning wrapper that we wad with love to envelope our old age will be made into swaddling clothes for our grandchildren. We say to ourselves, there, the day is ended. We light a lamp, we sew a fire, we get ready to pass a quiet and peaceful evening at the corner of our health. Tick-tack, someone knocks at the door. Who is there? It is death. We must start. When we have all the appetite of youth, when our blood is full of iron and alcohol, we are without a scent. 
when our teeth and our stomach are gone, we are millionaires. We have scarcely time to say to a woman, I love you. At our second kiss, she is old and decrepit. Empires are no sooner consolidated than they begin to crumble. They resemble those anthills with the poor insects build with such great effort. When it needs but one grain to finish them, an ox crushes them under the broad foot or a cart under its will. You do not take a step that you do not raise about you the dust of thousands things destroyed before they were finished. Time is short. And we don't need to waste it on the, the riches and the desires of this world. We need to take that example of Solomon, who in the end figured out that it's better to fear God and, and follow the commands of God than to go chasing riches. Amen? Amen? All right. Father, we thank you for this time tonight that we were able to get into your word and just uh, learn from these lessons of Solomon, Lord, that uh, life is short and that we need, to, we need to make the best of it, Father God, and that all the riches in the world and all the fame in the world and success does not equal to working for you and working for your son, Father God. And let us be good servants for you, Father, as, as we go out into this world, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for this message tonight. We uh, ask for blessings over each one here. We ask for traveling mercies as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.